On the 17th of May, 1865, the International Telecommunication Union was founded to facilitate international connectivity in communications networks. Almost 160 years later, here in the 21st century, we've made it. The world is powered by telecommunication in its purest sense, the sending and receiving of messages over distance. And that telecommunication, be it between people, between organizations, or between machines and systems, is increasingly dependent on satellites. But how do the satellites communicate? It is the search for the answer to that question that brings us to AnyWaves. In 2016, Nicolas Capé, PhD, was a renowned antenna expert at the CNES, the French National Space Agency. In 2017, he founded AnyWaves to develop revolutionary antennas for Constellation satellites. Today, Antoine Simon, PhD, is research and development engineer at AnyWaves and an expert in radio frequency. I met him to hear about the remarkable tech behind antennas. But first of all, Antoine set the scene, explaining why humans are in space at all and quoting some famous names to get us in the mood. So why space? So first for science. Historically, humans wanted to answer all the mythical question about how they come, all the question about the universe. And so they began the application for space exploration and especially the study of the solar system. So you have all the satellites that uh, you know, for example, Rosetta InSight. There was also application about science for observation of the Earth. So with the glaciology, the meteorology, and all the application about the modelization of the climate, which is really in trend right now. And also, if you look backward, you can also have the observation of space with all the cosmology and the, the modelization of the universe, like the astronomy, with the two satellites that you also already know, the James Webb satellites and also the Hubble satellites. And there are also applications closer to home, of course. You have some application that you can use by yourself, for example, your mobile phone. And there are also applications that are developed right now in order to have the internet all over the earth, even in a high mountain, for example, if you are hiking. So space technology is not only pushing back the frontiers of our knowledge of the universe, it's also keeping us safe making sure we don't get lost, and letting us talk to each other across the globe. But how exactly? Satellites are working much of that magic, and there are many more of them now than there used to be. Since the Sputnik satellite, uh, the first satellite that was sent in space by the Russian, in 2018, uh, there are 2,000 satellites that are uh, working right now all over the Earth. And this number is rising and rising again and again in the years with all the constellation antennas that multiply the exponentially the number of satellites in orbits. How is that possible? Do space agencies really have unlimited budgets? Apparently not. Antoine explained. The financial part of the satellite's launching has changed a bit compared to the traditional pace. The first big satellite that was sent in orbits, for example, around the Earth, it changed a bit because the private part came into the market and changed a bit all the application. 
Right now, there is commercial application that are really developed in the space. In the traditional plan, there was a scientific application. There were science-oriented application. But right now, it's more commercial, private application, for example, for all the telecommunication. The private part of the market and changed all the finance for this constellation. And so there are new financial that came into the market and changed a bit uh, how we build satellites. Then, of course, my next question was, when did the type of private space funding we see today begin? It changed in 2000. There is some law that acts that the private company can invest into space. In the traditional space, all the space was uh, conducted by the administration, for example, the NASA. And right now, the private actors can invest into the space and have innovative concepts, for example, and develop uh, other markets and the other commercial markets. But I wanted to know what specific changes that led to. First, it was change in law, changes in mind, and change in how you have satellites. For example, you have more low-cost satellites right now. For example, in the constellation, you have more satellites that cost less money than the old big satellites in the traditional place. So it's a new way to think about the space, and it's a more kit-oriented space for commercial application. So, constellations of satellites, the majority of which are built and operated by commercial, non-institutional companies today. That was the big picture, but I wanted to know about the satellites themselves. There are two main parts in the satellites. There's the platform and the payload. You can see the satellites like uh, vehicles. So the platform is the way the vehicle works. For example, you had uh, some Gs, you had some uh, fuel in it. And so the platform is the way the satellite works. So you have a vehicle that have in it a mission, so a payload. Any satellite has a mission. If the satellite has not a mission, it's just something that turns around the Earth with no really goal. So you have the vehicle that is the platform, and then you have the mission, which is the payload. For example, in the platform, you have all the stuff that is here for managing the satellites. For example, the energy production, the solar panel, the battery, all the stuff to orient, to turn the satellite to make him move so it's, it's just the vehicle and then you have the payload so any satellite has a mission for example if you have a satellite that will observe the earth you have some cameras to observe for example the ice in the polar circle if you have a scientific satellite we'll have a telescope in it in order to observe all the planets all the, the stars in the universe so here it's a mission part that comes in the satellites. It's another part of the satellites. That's the payload. Antoine had already mentioned constellation satellites, so this was my chance to find out what exactly that means. You have a small platform, but you don't have one satellite, one mission. You have a constellation for a mission. So you have in any satellites in the constellation reach a bit part of the mission. For example, if you have a satellite for internet or thing, if you are on the earth, for example, in a mountain and you want to have internet in your mountain, you will need some satellites that turn around you to get internet and they're speaking each other in orbits in order to get you the debits for internet. I'd always thought that traditional single satellites could do that job well. It could, but if you want to make it with one satellite, you have to launch it a bit more high on the sky. So it will be a bigger platform. It will be a a more expensive satellite. And right now, we want to have cheaper satellites turning around the Earth in order to have our new goals. 
And if you talk about the example of the Internet of Things, the main problem is the latency of the signal. So if you have satellites receiving geostationary orbits, which is really high, you will have a really high latency. So if your satellites are really close to the Earth, for example, only LEO orbits, the latency will be much small and you have a better signal for Internet, for example. There was a bit of jargon in there, so Antoine helped me out. There's three main orbits around the Earth. It's the LEO orbit, which is low, the MEO, medium, and the GEO, which is geostationary. It's 36,000 kilometers around the Earth. It's geostationary because it turns around at the same time of the Earth rotating, and it's used for application when you want a signal focus on a specific country area. And that brought us to the core topic of our podcast, antennas. There's three kinds of antennas that you already know. For example, there's a lot of application about this antenna on Earth, but it's the same for space, but it can bear all the space environment as the variation of temperature, for example, or the vibration at the launch. But there's three kinds of antennas. The first is the 1D antenna, that is all the antenna that you know that were a put in, uh, for example, your car. There was a, an antenna that is a dipole for us, for antenna designer. So you have all these antenna also for TV application, like the Yagi Uda uh, antenna that you have in all the roof of uh, a lot of buildings. So this is one the antenna. This is the oldest kind of antenna that is used to communicate. Then you have the patches, which is the 2D antenna. This antenna will suit for planar application. For example, in all your mobile, there's this kind of antennas. And we also use it in space, especially for CubeSat application. You want flat antennas. You want to have compact antennas that take normally a lot of space in the platform. So you use all this patch antenna to minimize the space of the antenna on the sat. And then you have the 3D antenna, which has the parabola. They take a lot of space, but they have high performances and uh, are really good, for example, they are used especially in uh, really big satellites. For example, in the traditional space, they were really big platform, so you can fit this big platform with uh, big antennas like Parabola, and they have high performances, so uh, you can get some really good performances for your systems and your application. So we'd heard about the basic 1D or dipole antennas, among which the famous Yagi Uda outdoor television antenna, and Antoine had told us about the 2D or patch antenna, and about the 3D antenna or parabola, and the fact that they all have terrestrial versions and space versions. But you can't just pick an antenna, even from within those categories of space antennas for satellites. There's no perfect antenna that fit for every application, every orbit, every platform. So we have to design one antenna for one application, at least one general application. And so there is two kinds of antenna. We can separate it in two kinds. There is the directional antenna and the omnidirectional antenna or the hemispherical, sometimes we can call this uh, with this term. And so, for example, if we take the directional antenna, so it focuses all the energy of the antenna, all the radiated energy in one direction. So it maximizes the debits for your internet application, for example. But if you turn around the bit, the antenna, you will have no more signal. So that's the drawback of this kind of antenna. So it has to really to be really good aligned with uh, the users. 
And the other category of this antenna is the omnidirectional of the hemispherical. In this kind, you have lower gain, so you don't really focus the energy in one direction, but you focus the energy in a wide direction. So in fact, you can communicate with people, with the, the users, in every direction, but with a low debit. And this kind of antenna are used, for example, for platform antenna in order to orient the satellites in one direction or in another direction. If you want to communicate with the satellites and if the satellite is not really good oriented, it's really good to have this kind of antenna because if you have, for example, directional antenna, it's, it, the satellite is not really good oriented, you have no signal. You can really communicate with the satellite and tell him to turn in one direction or not. So, uh, for example, in CubeSat platform, we use two hemispherical antenna in order to have all this spherical communication with the platform. And that's why uh, there is a, a lot of different antenna for every application. So armed with my recent knowledge about the differences between payload and platform, I asked Antoine about the main vocation of directional antennas. We can use it for platform, but it's mainly used for payload application. For example, it's used for a mission. If you have an application, for example, to take some photo about the ice in a polar circle, you will have to downlink all this data in the Earth. So you have to have an antenna with a high gain, so which focus energy in one direction in order to downlink all the data. And with this kind of antenna, you maximize the debits. So you can download all this information in one go. If you have uh, an antenna with less gain, so with uh, not great performances, you will have to come back to the ground station again and again in order to downlink all the data from uh, your mission. And if you have a great antenna, which have a higher gain, you can do it with one go, so you can optimize your data downlink, uh, you can optimize your cost. Fascinating stuff, but none of what Antoine had talked about so far explained the surprising price differences between antennas that are marketed as being much the same. In a competitive market, why not pay the lowest price? Antoine explained that cheaper antennas offer poorer performance, and so those apparent savings can actually lead to more expense. The antenna is one of the most important parts in the satellites because it's dimensional of the system in your platform. For example, if you have uh, an antenna with uh, not really good performances, you will have to counterbalance it with a higher power amplifier. These amplifiers are supplied with uh, the solar panels, so you will have to increase the size of your solar panels and also the battery, so you increase the mass of your platform and the mass costs a lot in the space. So if you have uh, better antennas, you can minimize all this system and really optimize the price of your satellites, the mass and the performance also on your satellite. And that's why the antenna are really one of the main parts of the satellites. They have to have a really high focus of this system in order to optimize all the platform. And that's why we make a lot of tests, our antenna, the thermal test, the vibration test. We want to guarantee accurate performances of our antenna in order to optimize this kind of small platform. I wondered what the main innovations had been and what difficulties designers were faced with. In the past, there were no really antenna that would fit with the small platform. So we have to innovate and create antennas with good performances for this small platform. But 
we cannot really bend the physics as we want. And in antennas, the, the physical size of the antenna is a, is a thing that we cannot really bend a lot. For example, if you have an antenna for low frequency application, you will have an antenna with a really high size. And if you want to make it really smaller, you will have a lower performances. That's mandatory. You cannot bend physics as we want. It can be 10 meters, for example, if you have low frequency application. But if you have high frequency application, for example, we have some in a few gigahertz application, you can have an antenna that is 10 centimeters, for example, what we propose for CubeSat application. So we can miniaturize the antenna, but it has to be really uh, in an accurate way to optimize the performances of the antenna. And what happens if a space antenna fails? If your antenna fails in orbit, you just have a space trash. Your satellites have no purpose and you cannot communicate with them. So it's just a rock turning around the Earth with no purpose. Before we wrapped up our conversation, I asked Antoine for some expert insight into the short to medium term future for space antennas. We can talk about the active antenna, which is a really big challenge in more long-term, medium, long-term challenge, which is, in fact, the agile beam antenna. For example, I talked before about the directional or hemispherical uh, radiation pattern. In this antenna, in fact, you can move, you can turn, oriented the beam of your directional antenna, so you can communicate with uh, a lot of uh, platform, even if you are not really good oriented with your platform. So that's a hard challenges, but uh, really good to tackle. And there's also reflectors that are also really good challenges for medium term. But that's the topic of another episode. Exciting stuff. And clearly lots left to talk about in the rest of the series. Thanks for listening and watch this space for episode two of the Space Antenna Makers, which should be reaching you, probably via some sort of antenna, in September. Bye for now.